Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Our minds are shaped by food as well as our bodies. Our cities, our landscapes, our economy, our politics. Our climate, our habits, you know, the way we socialise with one another, our relationship with nature and so on. This is Carolyn Steele. She's a London-based architect and thinker whose ideas revolve around food urbanism, the study of how food and cities are interconnected. And the basic idea is that we live in a world shaped by food. But we don't realise this because in a way, because of industrialisation, we've made food invisible. So the idea is that by valuing food, we can change everything. By thinking through food and acting through it, we can change everything for the better. Especially in Africa. Africa's just arguably the most important continent over the next century because it's the continent, as you no doubt know, where the vast majority of population expansion is going to take place. I mean, to me, the assumption that everybody in Africa is going to leave the land and go and live in cities and and replicate what we did in the West is an idea that has to be challenged. Hello and welcome to The Star Ingredient, a podcast on a mission to rediscover delicious, overlooked heritage plants in Africa and rethink our global food system. I'm your host, Takunbo Sawako, and in this episode we're travelling to London, where we're meeting two women. One of them has imagined Zootopia, a perfect place built around food, while the other is creating it. I wanted to be an architect since really as early as I can remember definitely the age of eight I remember sort of you know all my photos were of buildings and stuff so the architecture thing was there from the beginning. Carolyn Steele graduated from Cambridge and went on to become an accomplished architect and lecturer but while studying the urban landscape she began to feel like something was missing from the picture. Because architects tend to talk a lot about you know buildings and density and public space it's all very abstract you know and I am a Londoner and I knew that the experience of living in a city is not like that so I was desperately looking for a way of bringing life into the architectural discourse and I had the idea of doing it through food describe a city through food Carolyn is the author of two books Hungry City How Food Shapes Our Lives and Sitopia How Food Can Save the World in 2008, Hungry City became an international bestseller. Sitopia is a word she coined herself. It's from the Greek sitos for food and topos for place. 
Later, her concept of Cytopia, the food place, gained broad recognition among scientists, designers, ecologists and even artists. By the way, the reason I invented a Greek word is because Cytopia is a, deliberately a kind of a practical, food-based, real alternative to Utopia. Food markets have become the focal point of her research. When writing Hungry City, she realised that ancient civilizations were looking for their own kind of Cytopia, a food place to build their cities. They looked at the landscape, they looked at sources of fresh water, they looked at the soil, migrations of animals and birds and so on, to try to work out whether this area would be fertile. She uses London as an example. You know, so the grain for London was mostly coming in by river, then arriving at the same ports as the fish, so Billingsgate and Queenhide, and then trying to make its way through to the main market where Corn Hills, where it was traded, and of course that retains its name to this day. And then, you know, the streets leading up to the main market on the cheap side are called things like Bread Street and Fish Street, and you think, ah, oh, you know, food is actually travelling through the streets. So in this way, you know, all pre-industrial cities are literally physically shaped by food. At the end of the 18th century, as the Industrial Revolution was beginning, many people from rural areas moved to cities in search of better-paid jobs. And as cities expanded, the demand for food grew exponentially. The way in which food was produced distributed and consumed changed radically. Food also became cheaper. We've evolved an idea of a good life predicated on the existence of this thing called cheap food, which doesn't actually exist, as I say, because it only exists because we've created the illusion of it by externalising the true costs of food production. What she means is that when we save money by buying cheap food at the supermarket, that cost is borne out by our environment – Let's take a burger as an example. In Lyon, where I live, it costs around 10 euros. In his book, The Value of Nothing, British economist and activist Raj Patel argues that it should actually cost almost 200 euros, taking into account its hidden environmental consequences like CO2 emissions, deforestation or water use. You know, in other words, we invented farming with chemicals, we invented farming with fossil fuels, uh, monocultures and all the rest of it. Now, that system, unfortunately, is going global. When you farm with chemicals, it makes it... You can produce a lot more food, but it's a short-term thing because you basically bludgeon nature into kind of giving you bigger yields, but you destroy the soil. And once you destroy the soil, you're in a kind of, you know, zero-sum game. So we, we've been sort of living on borrowed time. So she feels food has become, in a sense... Invisible. The whole system now is very linear. It's very, you know, in, it comes from visible places, it moves invisibly, it's controlled by large corporations, many of which, by the way, are more powerful than national governments. So that's a massive deal and a massive problem because if you want to affect change, how do you do it? Politicians don't have control. She believes that in order to bring back Cytopia, we must put food at the centre of our cities and value it again. And her faith is inspiring others. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Thank Naira. You. 
Nara Devlashian is our producer. Welcome. It's such a lovely farm. I know. We're very, very lucky to be here. And by here, Chloe Dunnett, the creator of the Setopia Farm, is talking about the City of London, which might seem an unlikely place to grow food. It's as if you were in the in the countryside. That's exactly it. It's really incredible. So this is our beautiful two acres just here, Setopia Farm, which is pretty cool. Um, that road up there, which you can occasionally double-deckers on, you know. Before creating Setopia, Chloe worked in the national government. But during the pandemic, she decided it was time to change her life. I always had a secret fantasy of being a farmer. And then a few things happened a few years ago, including the death of a really close friend, and I just thought life was short. Chloe took a sabbatical to complete a master's degree in food policy and started setting up her first farm, the precursor to Setopia. That's when she read Carolyn Steele's Hungry City. And it was just around the time that I was thinking about I need a name for my farm. And I thought, this is abs- this is it, because this is about, you know, an optimistic vision of change and about the whole system. And I wrote an email and said who I was and what I was about and said, would you mind very much if I um, set up this new social enterprise and call it Satope Farm? And she very graciously, having not met me, clearly took a punt on me and said yes. And then... Um, yeah, and then I asked her to be part of my advisory board, and yeah, uh, and then it's taken off from there. The farm opened just over two years ago. With the help of hundreds of volunteers, Chloe converted a field previously used for pasture into a working farm. Now she works with two members of staff and occasional volunteers. We've produced several tonnes of produce over the year. It varies depending on season, but we average maybe a couple of hundred kilos, particularly when we get going a week, um, of a whole variety of produce. And we do regular community volunteering days each week. We do a pop-up shop and we open up the farm free of charge. We've had various suppers and dinners and events here uh, with lots more plans. And we, we've had yeah, several thousand visitors here already. With rows of herbs and vegetables, colourful flower beds and several polytunnels, the Setopia farm covers just two acres, about the size of a football field. So space matters. So, for example, instead of growing lots of root crops like, say, potatoes, which you only really get one crop from, they're in the ground for months at a time, then you harvest them, you know, it's not really worth the space. So instead we focus on things that are relatively high value, often cut and come again crops, and those which are really perishable. But also heritage plants and unusual varieties. So, for example, we grow beetroot and carrot, which everyone knows, but we grow, like, golden beetroot and a thing called chogger beetroot, which is a sort of pink and white candy stripe that looks like a stick of rock when you cut through it. You know, there's a whole diversity and wealth of food out there, and, of course, our current food system... Um, has narrowed down so much. Chloe doesn't use chemicals and pesticides. Each plant in Setopia has its place and plays its part to create a resilient system. Plants are allowed to grow in their natural form so they can be pollinated and contribute to biodiversity, like this waist-high beauty with bright yellow flowers. So this is dill? This is actually fennel. So we do have some dill over there, which again is starting to shoot up. But do have a taste. I think this is just incredible, the pollen here. And again, we use it for different reasons. It's great to attract beneficial insects. You can see some on it. 
these stems are absolutely beautiful for florists mm. and for bouquets. And chefs actually love this stuff as well, the fennel pollen. Have a taste. Mm. It's really beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? I want to eat it every day. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is the kind of thing you, you can't buy in the shops. It's not something that's easily packaged up, transported many miles, sold in the supermarkets or somewhere else, but it's, it's wonderful. London boasts a range of allotments, city gardens and eco-farms, but for Chloe, Setopia stands out. You know, it's not for profit, but we are here to grow proper volumes of food and sell it and use that to cover our costs. This is about scale, essentially. Because I don't think you can rely on goodwill to change the food system. You know, the economics of it are really important, as well as the environmental health and social aspects of it. Citopia Farm works with restaurants and flower shops, but also sells food baskets to people living in the neighbourhood. In just two years, Chloe has tripled the income of the farm to around €70,000. All my staff are paid London living wage. We are just about able to cover our costs through sales. And that said, it's really, really hard. I'm not yet paying myself a London living wage, but I hope to soon. And as with any new business, we're in the early days. We've been increasing sales year on year, hope to do more. Chloe believes that there's enough urban land in a country like the UK to scale up the city garden model. A study done by the University of Sheffield found that growing food in just 10% of urban spaces could provide 15% of the local population with enough fruit and vegetables for a healthy diet. The biggest obstacle to Citopia's mission is the prevalence of cheap food. Yeah, it's not easy. We're competing against a system which externalises, as I said, the cost of, of food. But when, when we're able to reach people and they taste the produce, they, they see the quality. We want to be part of the change that we feel we need to really urgently see and also show people what's possible and, and reach a wider audience. You know, we can reach many more people where we are in London. The Setopia farm gives us some idea of what a more hopeful food future could look like in a big city. And as 55% of the world population lives in urban areas, Carolyn insists that Setopia doesn't mean the end of cities. It's saying let's post fit cities to the extent that we can with food growing, you know, whether it's small scale farms or, you know, rooftop farms or community gardens or whatever. Let's surround them with, as historically all cities were surrounded by market gardens, you know. So cities play a major role in Carolyn Still's Setopia. Yet reclaiming our cities to start valuing and producing good, quality, healthy food has a long way to go. People are prisoners in this system of, you know, the provision of food, but it's not good food. And we know it's not clean or fair food either, but there's very little they can do about it. They don't have much money, they don't have much time, they have no skill. So we need to turn the whole thing upside down, you know, and start again, basically, because there is no such thing as cheap food and we have to start uh, really valuing food again. And that means that we have to spend more of our time, effort and, yes, money on food. But can we really afford more expensive meals?
We have to share our wealth differently. You know, we have to have different taxation systems so that people can afford to eat well. And we have to share our land differently because we need more farmers with more access to land to farm in this way. And internalise the true cost of food production. Ways of producing food that don't have all of these terrible, global, life-threatening externalities. In other words, organic, local, regional, seasonal. I mean, if you farm regeneratively, you're basically mimicking natural systems. So meat and dairy go back to being luxury foods, you know, that are raised, you know, on the back of an otherwise plant-based, mixed, organic farming system. Cytopia means major lifestyle changes in all areas of life. The transition is to, towards literally a different vision of what a good life is. Because you can't actually ask the question, you know, how should we eat, without asking the question, how should we live? You know, they're, they're basically inseparable questions. And the Global South is a key part of Carolyn Steele's Cytopia. Part of our job in the West is to actually work with people in the Global South and say, don't do this. Africa is key in this respect because most Africans still farm the way they've always farmed. There's actually a lot of evidence to say that when people in the Global South have actually abandoned Western-style farming and moved back to their local indigenous farming, their yields have shot up. In a world still struggling with inequities, Carolyn Steele has no doubt. A sustainable food system, a global cytopia, requires a new economic revolution. The sort of whole industrial capitalist idea of a good life treats nature as though it's infinite and comes for free because it was invented in 1750, so we need a new economy. And I can't think of a better thing to base it on than food because food is the most valuable thing in our lives and we have to have it. It's not a choice. After all, her dream is to create a society in which everybody can eat well. What I would love, personally, is a garden next to my kitchen. And actually, you know, if I imagine the best possible Zootopia, everybody has that. Everybody has a kitchen, you know, that, that is the main room in the house, and it gives out onto a garden where they can grow food if they want. I'm not a fascist. I'm not saying everybody <laughs> is forced to grow food. Um, but, you know, to have the opportunity to do that. been listening to The Star Ingredient. This show also exists in French, La Surprise du Chef. I'm your host, Takumbo Salako, and this series is written and produced by my colleagues Naira Davlachian, Ashling Nikulan, and Marta Rodriguez-Martinez in Lyon, France. Our assistant producer is Alice Canivale, with original reporting by Naira Davlachian. Our consulting editor is Catalina Mai in Santiago, Chile, and our solutions journalism consultant is Michel Fouin in Paris, France. The theme music is by Andy Rabini. Sound mixing is by Hugo Pouillard. Our production coordinator is Louise Lag, And our editor-in-chief is Patrick Heary. You can also listen to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. For more information on The Star Ingredient, please go to our website, euronews.com culture. The podcast The Star Ingredient was funded by the European Journalism Centre through the Solutions Journalism Accelerator. This fund is supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.
when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.